let's talk about the other teams we want to talk about this week. The Rockets and the Pacers. The Rockets, a few things to talk about. I know there's a, a couple players you want to touch on. I wanted to start by talking about their defense. Um, the Rockets have a top five defense this season. Fourth best defense since January 1st. So it's been consistent. You know, not a lot of variance. Top five defense through and through. Um, also a top five defense in effective field goal percentage. So seems consistent. Doesn't seem like a lot of sm- smoking mirrors there. Um, you know, they're solid, solid at generating turnover, sh- solid at defensive rebounding. Um, they don't turn it over often. So they t- keep teams out of transition. However, here's an amazing thing about Houston. I'm going to blow your mind with this, Jeff. When teams do get in transition against Houston, they score at a rate of a paltry 108.4 points per 100 plays in transition. So now if that doesn't raise your antennas to everyone listening to this, that should, because if this number held up, it would be the best transition defense since the 2004 Detroit Pistons. This, (laughs) this would be the best transition defense in 20 years since, and, and, and I just looked that up to 2004 and I found the Pistons. So who knows? It could be the best defense, you know, besides the Pistons in transition since, you know, freaking the nineties. I don't know. Um, number one in the NBA in transition defense, both off of steals and off of live rebounds by far. Um, they don't offensive rebound great or anything, but they're also not the worst team at offensive rebounding. So if you're thinking like, not you, Jeff, but if anyone listening to this is thinking like, oh, they probably just forget about offensive rebounds and just, you know, play transition defense. They're actually 21st in the league with an offensive rebounding rate of 26.2. So they're not crashing the offensive boards and killing it like, like a team like the Knicks or the Jazz they aren't completely punting on offensive rebounds to try to get in transition. Um, and their half court defense is just mediocre on a per play basis. Like, but I, like I mentioned their top five defense, it consistently have been such throughout the whole season. So my question is what the fuck is going on? How, what is happening in Houston? How are they doing this? How are they this good a defense without being a great half court defense? And how do they have this good of a transition defense? Something that we haven't seen in 20 years. And Jeff's going to answer it all for us. The transition defense has to be like tons of variance, right? (laughs) It's been how how many games are we at? We're at well through the season. Normally, you know, when you look at it from a data perspective, about 30 games, you can say is like, these are legit trends that are happening. We can have confidence in those trends to a certain extent about 50 games or, or yeah, about the 50 game mark. We generally don't see any change. Like this is just what it is. Like we could probably end the season after 50 to 55 games. We don't have to play 82. We know what's what through that amount of time. So they're approaching that time period where it's doesn't seem likely that's variance. Okay. Well, Ime Udoka is a really good coach. So I think that's where we should probably start. Um, Yeah, maybe better than I thought. Dylan Brooks and Fred Van Vliet are really good defenders. So this, you know, the, the, the Rockets went from a young team with very uh, minor defensive pedigree to all of a sudden they've got a, good coach coaching guys who know how to play defense. And then they also drafted Amen Thompson, who, you know, we're going to talk about in a bit, but he's already super good at defense. Just he's got a unique blend of athletic ability and size. He's got really, really good feet that he slides um, defensively and he uses his body. He's just 
that dude on defense is is really special. Um, crazy, crazy number for you. They have eight guys, eight guys with positive defensive EPMs. So, <laughs> and you know, this is this is trying to estimate their defensive impact isolated. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's not like one of those things. It's not like one of those things where you look at somebody's like defensive rating, which please, please. Please, if you're listening to this, never do that ever, <laughs> ever. At least, at least it's not like the. I mean, we're, we're well past the magic Twitter account that cited. Do, do you know about that bit, actually? No, the magic the magic Twitter account was like trying to hype up one of their players and was like, "This guy has a league high defensive rating." Like they thought it was like a league high. <laughs> yeah, they, they they thought high was good. You oh, know, no. and like really, they were they, oh, really no. they, they Wait, were highlighting that. Let's clarify really like, quick because we're we're at odds with Magic fans right now. I don't want to I don't want to dig I don't want to oh, dig any deeper. But I didn't think about that. I, God, <laughs> we're just you like warned roasting. me. You warned me before we got we're, on. Like I'm we're just roasting Orlando. I live two I hours away from it. Orlando, man. Like um, I've got Mitch, I've got I've got even more bad news for you, XJ. It might not have been the Magic. Twitter That's what account. I was gonna I, say. I don't even think it, can, it can't be their official Twitter account. No, it was a team's official Twitter account. It was? it was. Yeah, it was. I'm just not sure it was the Magic. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it, but I think let's just it say the it was the Magic. Fuck it. It was yeah. the Magic. Yeah, they, no, they, they I, always say I, dumb I shit. Wanna, Who knows it? Fuck, <laughs> 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 man. Cut that. Cut that. Uh, um, I'm not cutting it. <laughs> No, it was it was. So anyways, please just don't just don't just don't use individual defensive rating ever. And and it's high is bad, but it doesn't even matter because you can have a high defensive individual rate or you can have a high individual defensive rating and be a good defender. That's not impossible. Yeah, right, of course. Um defensive EPM on the other hand, while there is noise and it is an imperfect stat, it is trying to estimate your individual impact. And so for the Rockets to have eight guys who are in the rotation who have positive and top, you know, 66 percentile or better defensive EPMs that has to be playing a part here into why their defense is just so stout all the time, because, you know, their worst defenders who are getting major minutes right now are, um, I guess just Jalen green (laughs) and Whitmore and yeah, I mean, and Jalen green, um, and I think Cam Whitmore is going to be a fine defender. Like I, I know his absolute impact hasn't been great so far, but he definitely profiles as someone who will be. So I guess my point by that is, is like, you know, people see that as hating on Jalen Green. Jalen Green doesn't profile as a good defender. Maybe he'll become one one day. But when you look at his defensive EPM, you're like, okay, yeah, he's probably not doing a lot of good things. Cam Whitmore, I could see being a more volatile from being more volatile from an impact perspective, from the sense of he could still be doing good things, but also just be doing really bad things. That's weighing down his, his overall impact. Yeah. I think that, that, that I think that's all true and, and, and definitely, definitely part of the solution here. Um, but I also think part of why EPM is rating these players is impactful defensively, because just to be clear, these impact metrics don't, suggest that a player is a good defensive player good or bad defensive player that's actually like not at all what they're saying they're just saying their impact on the defensive end or the offensive end is this we're estimating it to be this so 
you could be a bad, like, I mean, this is unlikely, but you could be a bad defensive player and still have a positive impact on the defense, depending on, you know, certain things that you do, whether it's defensive rebounding, whether it's through leadership, whether when you're on the court, guys try harder because they're like, oh shit, Fred Van Vliet's going to be pissed at us if we don't make this rotation, you know, whatever. And he could individually, and we know Fred, that's not true for Fred, Fred Van Vliet, but he could individually be not be good, but have it good impact on the defense like these are theoretical things that are possible so that's that's really what the impact metrics are saying but at the same time i agree with you i think those are all good to solid to great defensive players and and that definitely has an impact i think that it's just such an outlier stat to me that is really incredible to see at this stage of the season um i'm not sure how many games the rockets have played uh but i know it's over 40 and um and it just—I just think it's—I just think it's an amazing statistic. So I want to flag that. But it, I want to dive. Wild. I, I, I yeah. just, I'm sorry. I just want to add one more thing. So first of all, they've played 49 games. Um, that's crazy. That's that's pretty stable. Then we're talking close to 50 games. That's pretty stable. I, I doubt it's going to change much over the rest of the season. So the other thing I want to say is they are top four in opponents' three-point shooting from both both major distances distances words again part two jesus um and so like you have defenses like the pelicans and Suns, who their overall team defense isn't you know super great the pelicans are they're eighth in the nba in defensive rating that's good uh the Suns are 16th so that's average but then those two teams are literally top two in the league in opponent three-point shooting so it's like uh that could be carrying a lot of water, you know, like that, that could be, yeah. um, the Rockets are from 20 to 24 feet, fourth in opponent field goal percentage. And from, uh, 25 to 29 feet, they are second. So like whether that's due to really good rotations, really good closeouts, really good schemes, they are in the upper echelon of, you know, there, there is some potential, normalization that could be incoming or they're just a really good three-point defense i'm not gonna act like it's all the same i'm just saying you you were looking for reasons for why this rockets team went from bottom of the league to one of the best defenses in the league and i'm i'm seeking solutions on the fly yeah i think that's fair i think i think the three-point shooting is we've seen teams get good three-point shooting luck across an entire season right like probabilistically it's unlikely for that to happen for a team to just get three-point shooting luck through 82 games but it does happen and and this could be a a case because i agree with you that the the three-point shooting luck that they've gotten as far as overall three-pointers and from the corner specifically they've been they've been very fortunate um i i i doubt that there's something that they're doing that is making teams shoot this poorly from three like i think that's pretty unlikely so yeah that that could be that could be one of the reasons okay i have a small rant here to go on i mean it's your it's your podcast jeff we've brought up multiple times regression to the mean and if you're listening to this there are so many like do you know who bill barnwell is yes for that he does nfl coverage He's awesome. He's really, actually really good at his job. And so this is not like overall Bill Barmo slander. But every offseason, he does his regression of the mean candidates. And he always, always, always talks about how the team did in one score games the year before. And then acts like that's going to like return to 50% overall. 
So like if the team was five and two in close games the year before, well, teams actually are, it's a coin flip. So they're going to go two and five. No, that's not how it works. Okay. Like, so if you're out there and you don't understand regression of the mean, if you flip a coin three times and it comes up heads three straight times, it's still 50, 50 the next time that's regression to the mean. It's not a hundred percent tails. So I just, I need anyone out there who doesn't understand that to understand that. Like it regression of the mean means it's going to go back to the mean, not go back to not make, not turn three of three into three of six because, Hey, you said, Oh, you're saying Barnwell is, is arguing that the next year it'll be the opposite or like, like it's like, it'll be, Oh, 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 this team was good in close games. So they're going to be bad next year. Oh, Oh, okay. I thought you were saying, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, that's, that's, yeah, that's not, that's not good. That's not good. No bueno, Bill. Um, yeah, and it's love very you, Bill, frustrating because yeah. every year he he always he always points out the teams and he's like, yeah, they were good in close games. So as we know, they're going to be bad in them next year. Like, <laughs> no, we don't know that. We don't. They could they could actually be good next year. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're as yeah. likely to probably if you look at it like this. Like I, I don't know if there are factors that make teams actually like better in close games than other teams in the NFL. There could be, or there could not be, I'm not sure, but they're just as likely, even if we say there aren't, they're just as likely to, to be just as good as they were the season before as they are to be the opposite, right? Like let's say they were five and two in close games the pre the previous season. They're just as likely to be five and two as they are two and five. You could probably make the argument that they're more likely to be. Yeah, because they're probably have, just a good team anyway. Yeah, or they're or you have some form of proof of concept that they did were successful in these close games. Yeah, could be coaching strategically. They they have a sense of like when to use timeouts, when to go for it on fourth downs, like what plays to draw up, and yeah, it could be a ton of reasons why they're they're good in close games. Yeah, it's like the Dirk versus Dwight Howard thing. Like Dirk's team, I don't know if you, Dirk's teams across his whatever however many years he played twenty years. They were like, I don't know what the number is, but they were hugely above their Pythag wins, their projected win loss, and Dwight Howard's teams hugely underachieved compared to Pythag. Yeah, and there are like analytics people out there who were like, oh yeah, that's just like random variance. And like, yeah, maybe or maybe when your team best player is Dirk Nowitzki, you're gonna be a little bit better in close games than when your best player is Dwight Howard. Like that that could make sense too. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, no, it, it could it could make sense. I mean, I I would say in situations like that, it's like I would just be like, I don't know. Like, I, there's there's data that could definitely like give you more of a sense of whether like, for instance, in terms of three point shooting, there's a lot of data that suggests that like you can't really just hold a team like you can't really just hold a team to like bad three point shooting. Like, there's like not a lot of attributes or characteristics about your defense that could just force teams into poor three-point shooting consistently like that just it's just like variance um and so I've, it yeah i've watched too many knicks games coached by tom thibodeau and then watched too many knicks games coached by not tom thibodeau to believe that there's no control i believe that there's not no limit. control not control not no control but like oh, okay. is limited limited effect that you can have i believe like there's a ceiling to it yeah okay i believe on a limited ceiling to the to how much you can impact opponents three-point shooting but it's like diminishing I, returns like you can't just be like hey we'll just give you all layups and we'll just guard threes and then you'll shoot 20 percent from three like no you can't you can't just force a team to just shoot that badly from three essentially 
Well, in that paradigm, they would just shoot no threes. <laughs> that's why. But that's why. That's why you couldn't yeah. do it. Yeah, that's exactly why you couldn't do it because you can't just do that. You can't just give up all layups and then just prevent all threes because if you could, they would shoot zero. They would shoot zero percent from three, but they would also take no threes, right? So like, as soon as you're like allowing them to take some layups, now you're now taking away from your ability to defend the three. Yeah, I don't know though. Teams are pretty stupid. Have you ever seen that three that game where the team almost won playing three on five? What are you talking about? Are you talking about the Curry, the Curry game in college and Davidson? Like, I don't think it was Davidson. It was like five. It was uh, oh, the Colin Sexton game. Yeah, it was Bama versus Minnesota. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The team was playing three on. The team was playing five on three and like shooting threes. Yeah, yeah. How (laughs) are they getting threes off? It was insane. Yeah, one of those unbelievable things I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, I could not believe it when I was watching. So my point is, is that. Maybe if you just like told the team like, "Hey, we're we're just not gonna let you shoot threes. There would be some guy on the team who would be like, "Yeah, fuck it. You, you, think, you, can't, you, think, you think you can stop me? Watch this, dude. <laughs> you never know. I'm jacking it. I don't care. You're not gonna stop. It's like, yeah, we're, dude, we're giving you layups. He's like, nah, yeah. bro. I'm pulling this. <laughs> no thanks, man. I'm good. You know. Like, <laughs> I like um, a challenge. Well, well, I'll tell you what, a team that wouldn't shoot threes well is a team that had all Amen Thompson's on the team, <laughs> whether they're contested or not. Um, and you wanted to talk about Amen Thompson in particular, who I agree with you is a, such an interesting player for many reasons. And I could see his NBA trajectory go like so many different ways. Uh, you know, like you mentioned some of his defensive prowess. He's so dynamic and, and athletic with the balls. Incredible. But yeah, what, what do you want to talk about with Amen's particularly? I just don't know how to project forward for him at all. I've never, I mean, I'm basically saying the same thing that you just said, because basically what I'm trying to say is it could just go so many different directions, but you watch him. He's already, he already has such good feel. And I mean, offensively too. He's such a good connector. He, he's already so good at processing. He makes these, intermediate passes just so well when he's driving or when he's on, when he's in transition, but his shooting is so bad. It's so bad. It's really bad. Like it looks broken. Like, but is his mid range shooting that bad? I mean, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it is. Damn. Yeah. It's his mid range shooting is bad. His three point shooting is bad. His free throw shooting is bad. Um, his free throw shooting is not like Mitchell Robinson bad, but it's like, it's bad. Yeah. I mean, it's bad for a guard to shoot less than 70% from the free throw yeah. line. But yeah, is I mean, he a guard though. This is another question I have. Like, I know he's listed as a shooting guard, but what is right. he? That's the thing. So, so I, and I, and you texted me about Amen the other day and I texted you, or I think I texted you something about a, a highlight clip of him, like kind of going off, getting into the paint, having all kinds of sick finishing, looking like a, you know, like a, a facsimile, as you would say of, of SGA in a way. <laughs> I would, I would say something way stupid <laughs> as um, I did earlier. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, like, and I just said, like, I think these, a lot of these guys are, essentially on ball creators or, or point guards masquerading as wings. And I think if you put Amen Thompson in that role where he's the on ball creator, 
and doesn't have this burden of like catch and shoot, like spacing role. I think he's a, a completely different player. I think he's not really guardable in that kind of role where he's just attacking the basket relentlessly with his size, with his athleticism, with his dynamic movements, with his ability to get into the paint and finish over people like his ability to hang in the air and finish. Like I, I, I think it's a different story for him if he's in that role as opposed to this where he needs to be a guy who can space out, who can, you know, do something off the catch, attacking closeouts, you know, is something that he, he can he can be good at. But I just think with the ball in his hands is really where he's most dynamic. And until he gets a shot, I, I just feel like he's going to be misused, at, at, you know, being this wing prototype. So you think and I guess I'm, I'm shifting a little bit to theory again, just after we just had a half hour conversation about macro theory, you think that non-shooting players are more tenable as initiating guards than as wings. 100%. Yes. I believe that. Yeah. And you can poke holes in it. I, I, I think like, so for instance, SGA, SGA is a good shooter. Now he's good. I wouldn't say he's an amazing shooter, but he's a good shooter. I don't think SGA would need to shoot 35% or whatever from three to be as dominant as he is. I, I think he could shoot 30% from three and still like, how, what are you going to do with him? You, if you give him a, if you just give him space, he's going to, he's going to close the space and he's going to get into the paint with a head of steam. You can't stop him by giving him space when he has the ball. If he doesn't have the ball, you can stop him by giving him space because he's going to catch it and be in no man's land. And then the, the whole play resets. So I just think that if you have like the guys who I'm willing to accept non-shooting for, if, if those who don't know, I love shooting. It's I think it's the most important thing in the game of basketball, um, you know, both definitely off the ball, not as much on the ball. I think if you have the ball in your hands, that's the only guy who I'm willing to accept doesn't shoot. If he's like an SGA, if he's like a De'Aaron Fox, it, you know, if he's a guy like that who can get into the paint at will. And you can't stop him from getting into the paint. All I need is paint access from my guard, from my on-ball creator. I need paint access and I need good decisions once he gets there. And if he can finish and make good decisions, then I don't think they need to shoot that well. I guess my only pushback here is I, I'm not sure even like John ja Morant would be John ja Morant if he wasn't the passer he is. I'm not, yeah. not sure. I'm I'm very sure. John ja Morant's such a good passer. Such a good passer. And I mean, look, he's he's already more of a threat. No, he he's more of a threat than Eamon Thompson is. Early Eamon Thompson is. So, what do you if Eamon Thompson is initiating a bunch of offense? And I think he's more of a connective passer than he is like a create type of passer. If that makes sense. So I'm not sure right now how he is creating offense because the only effective offense he creates for himself is at the rim. He's in the 65th percentile at the rim, uh, finishing at the rim and he gets there a decent amount. I, um, I don't know. Like I, I just, this is, this is befuddling me. I'm, I'm, I'm truly lost because he's so special. He has, he has so many things, the defense, the connect, the the athleticism the connection ability the, you don't just wake up with these skills and and he almost feels like he almost feels like a guard slash wing version of Obi Toppin like Obi is really special in his own ways of course Obi can shoot but there are things that Obi can't do that o Amon Thompson can and I just I don't think the league has figured out like even the Pacers who are doing fine with him and Obi's playing well how to 
truly maximize Obi. Like he, he hasn't been put in a situation yet. And I'm, I don't know how to maximize Amon Thompson. I'm not sure the Rockets do either. Yeah, I'm not sure either. I guess I'm just thinking about it from the standpoint of, and you bring up great points, of course. I'm just thinking about it from the standpoint of like, what's an easier skill to develop? And maybe I'm wrong for assuming this. I assume that like passing is something that it's an easier skill to develop than shooting at a high level. And I think he already has some passing chops. I don't think he's there to be like, you immediately dump him in and say, hey, create offense for us. But I think he could get there. I could more easily see him getting there than I could see him turning into like a 35% three-point shooter, which would be double what he what his percentage is currently right now. So I, yeah, I, that that's where I'm having the most trouble seeing. And but, but people know more than me and better than me, like what's an easier skill to develop over time. Maybe shooting is something that he can develop into. Um, being a standstill catch and shoot 35% guy would give him the career that we, we can imagine for him. If you gave him 35% shooting, he would just like immediately be in, all-star, or 35% three-point shooting. He would be a, a fringe all-star, like, right now. <laughs> like, you think, at, like, Stan so catch and shit. So I'm saying, like, he's literally just uh, not, spot not up. Overall. Like, okay. not yeah, overall. Yeah, no, 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 no. I'm not, not overall, but, like, essentially no pull-ups ever. Like, just literally he's open, six feet of space, and he can hit it at a 35% clip. Yeah, okay. That, not fringe all-star, because that's still not, that's still not enough, but that, to that that'd be a really good player and like it's crazy i think to me it highlights how gifted he is that he's i mean he's above average in the nba right now by epm over by overall impact by epm that's bananas like a guy a young guy who was drafted you know barely uh not even a year ago and you're selling him you're telling him oh by the way you can't shoot like you're that bad at shooting that and other teams know it. They they cheat off him. They no, nobody cares if he's open and has the ball in his hands, and he's finding a way to impact the game. I just not even at the highest level. I just don't know what that looks like long term. Um, and I, I just keep coming back to. I think he just has to develop some semblance of a shot. I guess the the last question on the Amen Thompson thing I'll ask, and I want to send it back to uh, I want to send it back to you. You're always looking for proof of concept. What is the analogous player to Eamon Thompson where it's like, oh yeah, he could just be that and it would work? What what is there one? Um I mean <laughs> you mean like for 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 what I'm selling as what I think his role could be or or kind of like in in the wing type archetype role? Either. Well, I think that we've seen point guards who can get into the paint and who don't shoot well. I mean, obviously, you know, Ja is the name that pops out. You know, he he shot 30. What did he, what did he shoot from three last year? 30, 30.7% from three last year. And still On was 90. a really difficult shot diet. Like all he does is shoot pull-ups and self-created threes. Yeah, he's not that's ever, true. He's not ever shooting off the catch. That's and true. that's still almost double amen. Talk. Like we're not, we're, we're talking about like Alfred yeah. Payton. Like this is Nick's Alfred Payton. What about what about like no? Because D Rose even shot better than that. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't really have an answer for you. Um, he's got to get better at shooting. Yeah, <laughs> at least and a little bit. Almost deflating watching his shots. Like they're so like it's almost like it's almost like the guy is never like I've, I know he has. 
But some of the shots that come off his hands, it's like, dude, like, what? <laughs> what is it? What? I just, and it, I don't know. He's 6'7", so, but I agree with you. I You don't see small forwards or even really many power forwards in the league who are that inept at shooting threes. So right now, he has to be a guard. He has to be, you know, Ben Simmons. Like, is Ben Simmons the answer? Ben Simmons might be the answer. Ben, obviously, Ben Simmons is a little bigger, so a little more versatile defensively, could guard centers um, in, in many cases. But, yeah, Ben Simmons could be the comp, potentially. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad I landed on that name because I, I literally had nothing. I, I had nothing to go off of that was like, oh, this is – what Amon Thompson could be. I don't think that Amon Thompson is as gifted as a pastor as Simmons is, but I think he has the athleticism and between the ears um, and the, and the overall physical build, I think he can approach Ben Simmons defensive impact. And so, yeah, I mean, and the, and look, we've seen, I know, I know, I know Simmons is kind of a, I don't want to say a joke, but like the the joke is like he can't even stay on the court. But dude just missed a you know weeks or over a month of playing time, just showed up and had a triple double in twenty minutes. Like Ben Simmons can still help your team if he's if he's healthy. He just the problem is staying healthy. I think that Eamon Thompson, if he followed the Ben Simmons trajectory, can can help teams and can help the Rockets. Do you? I I think so, but I also think that Ben Simmons like now um would probably not i don't know i want to because ben simmons okay shot like not at all <laughs> his first like throughout his whole career basically like I, I don't know how many three-point attempts he has in his career but it's a very low number um didn't make any in his rookie well what was his rookie season obviously he sat out his first season um didn't make any in his second season but still was a really high impact or re- not really high a, a, re- a relatively high impact offensive player so yeah maybe maybe that's the that's the only comp potentially i think you're right i think but but again ben simmons was the guard in that in those cases right he was a giant guard and that's part of the value that he he gave on the offensive end so i don't think ben simmons as a wing is is going to be able to do that and it is interesting looking at Simmons' offensive EPM trajectory uh, from a percentile st- standpoint. It's just straight down. It's just like he got worse relative to the league every single year he was in the league. And so yeah. it, it's almost like that's indicating little by little, in spite of his immense physical gifts, the league just figured out his lack of shooting and how to exploit it a little bit more each season. That's what I was going to suggest. I didn't feel comfortable saying like, you know, oh, we plop 22-year-old Ben Simmons into the modern NBA fully healthy and he wouldn't be that guy necessarily, but potentially, yeah, it might not work anymore. On offense, yeah. obviously on defense, he'd be a monster. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I mean, I'm just excited to watch it unfold. I don't know. He's just a really cool player and he's a really unique player and... I mean, we've seen guys figure out being helpful when they can shoot. Like, it's almost to the point where it's like, that's not super interesting anymore. It would be cool if Eamon Thompson figured out to shoot. I think that would give us a data point of like, oh, bad shooters can solve it. But it would also be cool if he found a way to, you know, make a place for himself as an impactful player without learning it. Because it would just, 
it would I would kind of more be learn. interested in that. <laughs> like if he was able to make an impact without shooting, that would be really, that would be more interesting to me than if he learned how to shoot. Although it would be super interesting to say, okay, a guy can come into the league, have no clue how to shoot and then learn it over time and be good at it. That would be, that would be interesting too. But I more would be interested to see, you know, a guy who, who who can't shoot, how can they impact the game? Um, a, a team who can shoot is the Indiana Pacers. We know the last team we want to talk about, and I think we're going to kind of make it a quicker conversation, but the Pacers, since the Pascal Siakam trade, we've seen mixed results, uh, and a lot of that has to do with Halliburton having mixed availability. Uh, you know, in those games, they have a 120 offensive rating, which is really good for, in, in, you know, anytime. But in this current modern NBA landscape, they're 11th in the NBA in offense during that time. And they're 15th in the NBA in defense during that time. This is a team that was consistently the best offense in the league and the worst defense. We've seen both of those kind of moderate a little bit since the Siakam trade, but also a lot of that is with and without Halliburton, with an injured Halliburton, then with no Halliburton, then with you know a minutes limit Halliburton. So we haven't really seen this team at full strength at all. And not even really, we haven't seen this team at full strength. So who knows what they're going to look like, but um, mixed returns early so far. What would you say about the the Siakam post Siakam uh, Pacers? I don't think mixed at all. I think I mean I think the win loss results have been hit or miss, but I'm not sure how much better the Siakam deal could look from their perspective. I think that you know if you listen to part one of this episode, you heard us talk about the value of um connectivity and uh stars being interactive and i think that halliburton and siakam are showing that they're willing to play off one another um more so siakam playing off of halliburton when they play together which is nice i think that a concern of the siakam trade especially from someone like xj's perspective is like Halliburton having the ball less isn't a good thing. Like he's, he's one of the best offensive players in the league. You don't want to do something that will uh, take the ball out of his hands, but at least in the Pacers games that I've watched, the ball is in his hands just as much. It's just, he's finding a better player in Siakam in these advantageous positions. And Siakam is showing a willingness to play off of Halliburton and elevate the team. And then also this, and this is more to the point. I think, you know, you follow someone like Kalen Cooper on Twitter, who's amazing Pacers. Um, I don't even know. What do, what do we call ourselves? Content creator. So lame. We're in our thirties. You know? I think she's an analyst. Yeah. Analyst. That's a great word. There you go. See, I'm terrible with words. Actually, is great with words. Um, <laughs> Not true. But... Pacers analyst. She's wonderful. She's one of the, uh, one of my favorite follows, just everything she says is just, I just learn every single time she posts something. And uh, something she's highlighted a bunch is just how Siakam has just overhauled the defense. Like, they're not a good defense, make no mistake about it. But Siakam stands out as someone who is making multiple efforts. He's, you know, on the perimeter, he's protecting at the rim. Um, if I was a Pacers fan and I had any concerns that Siakam was going to come in here, try to like be a star worthy of the what they gave up for him, take possessions from Halliburton and then kind of mail it in at defense. He's sort of just done the opposite. And that's to me 
as good as it could have been. Maybe the maybe they'll never win a championship with these two as their two best players. But guess what? They made the swing. The trade is already made. Now, if you're a Pacers fan, you're rooting for the results to be as optimal as possible. And the earlier turns to me are Siakam is willing to play off Halliburton and he's willing to play defense. Two very, very important things for the next few years for this team. I think you're totally right about that as far as the willingness to kind of play that role. I think that was potentially a question. It seems like Siakam's willing to do that. I I want to put out there, I'm biased here. I, I'm just biased here. So I want to acknowledge that and, and also want to share with the, you know, with the audience that, you know, we're all biased. It's just about being able to <laughs> to be aware of that bias. And I am, and I, I don't really like Siakam as a player. I think he is comparable to uh, a Julius Randle type of player. And I, I just don't like the style, um, but he, he's been less of that in, in, in Indiana so far. And so hopefully he's able to maintain that. And, and it could be in some cases, you know, maybe he was a little bit checked out in Toronto, knew he wasn't going to be there long-term knew that they weren't going to sign him long-term knew his days were numbered and just was like, kind of like, I'm going to get mine here. So, you know, you guys figure out whatever you got to figure out because this is not a team. Clearly if I'm on my way out and you know it and you're not going to pay me, then, you know, there could be a lot of that that were going on, that was going on that affected how Siakam played in, in Toronto. So I want to put that out there and he's clearly not doing that in Indiana. You're totally right, Jeff. He is making a ton of defensive effort. I just think that his shooting is going to limit how good they're going to be offensively. And I, and I think to, to, to the point I was making in, you know, the, the first part of our podcast, the, in terms of, if you look at all teams, um, all teams, five man lineup. So this is, this is five man lineup. So it's not just like, you know, any random combination of three players. This is five man lineup. So there aren't five man lineups. There's not a ton of possessions. Um, but if you look at all five man lineups in the entire NBA and we look at over 200 possessions played together, the second best lineup to the Philadelphia Sixers with Maxi, uh, Melton, Harris, Batum and Embiid is Halliburton, Buddy Heald, Bruce Brown, Obi Toppin and Miles Turner at a plus 20.5 of ridiculous 136 points per four, uh, 0.4 per um, 100 possessions. And the defense was not good, but not the worst in the league. 115.9 uh, points per possessions given up, uh, per 100 possessions given up. So I think that this team may be better in some ways with Siakam or will, definitely will be better in some ways with Siakam. And we've seen, you know, his willingness to lock in on the, the defensive end and his defensive versus versatility is something like they've not had clearly. Um, but at the same time, I don't know that they're going to be good on better on balance with him than they would have been without him. And in the ways that they were plugging in those holes and being able to score at such a high rate to me, I think if you're, the best offense in the league and like a bottom five defense in the league. And you're kind of like a little above mediocre as a result. Like that's more interesting to me and, and, and fun to watch than if you're just like a good offense and not, a, you know, a top 17 defense or something like that. It's just like, eh, whatever. But I think it could be good for them moving forward. We talked about this before in the playoffs. It's really good to have some like other things that you can go to. And I think Siakam does provide that. He's a mid-range monster. He hits those mid-range shots like just like almost DeMar DeRozan like in some ways it seems. But I just I'm just not excited for if I'm a Pacers fan because 
what's the, what's the ceiling for this team now? Like at least before, you know, you could potentially run anyone out the gym and they can maybe still do that. Um, but, but definitely not at the same level, in my opinion, with Siakam, who is bringing down your ability to space the court around Halliburton. So that, that's really my concern and, and would be my concern. But again, I, I'm biased because I'm more prone to the style of play that the Pacers were playing with one primary creator at the level of a Halliburton in terms of his passing and his shooting and guys just spaced out all around him with Miles Turner, with Obi Toppin, with, with Jalen Smith, just guys spaced out from three and just creating such an awesome offensive dynamic and some of the stuff that they were trying in Indiana. So yeah, it could, it could work out for them. This could be better, but I, I just see they're they just have a hard cap on their ceiling at this point, in my opinion. So a couple things. One, um, I've always believed that Pascal Siakam, Siakam has more functional gravity than his actual shooting would indicate. Um, because of his willingness to shoot threes off the catch and the position he plays. And just, I don't see him being ignored as someone that his shooting results would dictate that he should be. The second thing that I want to say is that I get your uh, hesitance because Siakam is most comfortable at power forward. So usually it's like, okay, if your power forward isn't a great shooter, well, you already have a center. The three guys that Siakam is most commonly sharing the court with in the front court are Jalen Smith, Miles Turner, and Obi Toppin. Like one of those three guys. So the Pacers already pretty much only play good shooters at point guard, shooting guard, and small forward. And so Siakam's almost functioning as the team's center from a spacing perspective. Like in I don't think that it's going to hurt the team's offense as much as you do. And look, I mean, it's a small sample size, but you look at how the team's performing when him, when he's on the court, they're not just crushing because the defense has gotten better. I mean, the defense does play better when he's on the court. He has the highest on-court net rating. But if you look at Halliburton's on-court offensive rating, you know, the Pacers are scoring 124.6 points per 100 possessions when Halliburton plays. That dips to 124.3 points per 100 possession when Siakam plays. So I know it's only nine games, but I don't know. I'm just not seeing what you're seeing in terms of this offense falling off a cliff. And frankly, I know they played over 200 minutes, but just being like, oh, well, this lineup scored 134 points per 100 possessions across you know a little bit over 200 minutes why should they get this offensive player who could like they're not just going to do that across the whole season of course you have to no just to be clear yeah i agree with you but it's it's not 200 minutes it's 368 possessions so it's not i'm not looking at per minute basis i'm looking at possession basis on cleaning the glass by the way but yes if you continue your point is still valid go ahead um that was the end of my point that was uh that, that, that was that was i'm you know i I believe that Siakam isn't hurting the spacing as much, especially when he's involved in the action, um, which he, he, he plays off of Halliburton plenty, you know, he's a willing screen setter. Uh, and I think that he attracts attention that way. And then the, to the functional gravity standpoint, I have no proof of that. So I know you won't be overly um, like accepting of it only to say that, in all the years I've watched Siakam, I never see teams that are like, eh, 
Like, we'll just leave him alone over there the way that other guys get ignored. Like, I believe that because he's a big and he has the reputation he does, he gets the same defensive attention when he's facing in the corner or above the break that – not the same, but he he gets enough that it's not hurting your offense off the ball. Yeah, and I, I think you've made that point about Julius Randle as well, even when he's not shooting particularly well. Like, teams are not going to just leave him alone, but – I mean, we, we've talked about this and, and everyone has talked about this really like in terms of what the Pacers do and how it translates into the playoffs. I, I think teams are going to treat him differently in the playoffs. Like they're going to be locked in. They're going to be game plan. They're going to say we have to give up something, right? What do we give up with this team? This team can do anything. What do we give up? And it's like, can we live with like a someone closing out to a Siakam relatively open three? And maybe that's the best we can do against this team. And is if he's going to cash him in at like a 31% clip or something like that, like, you know, that's, 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 that's not going to really be gangbusters for you. So I just think in a playoff environment, maybe over the regular season, they're going to be like, Whoa, it's Pascal Siakam. We got to get out there, you know, but like in a, in a, in a playoff environment, when teams are locked in, it's like, this is how we're treating these players. We have to stick to these principles. Um, you know, would I rather have a 40% from three Obi Toppin in that situation? Would I rather have a 47% from three Jalen Smith in that situation? Like he's so good, dude. Yeah. He's, 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 he's maintained this shooting. Like we've, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm waiting for it to fall off. I mean, it will, it will. I think it will. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but, um, but yeah, so I, to me, he made, he makes miles Turner expendable. Like I know this conversation is about Siakam, but like a Jalen Smith Siakam front court moves me a lot, a lot more than a Smith Turner front court. Does. I agree with you because I think that, I think that Turner hasn't had the defensive impact that they, I think that they hope that miles Turner would be able to be like a one man defense where it's like, yeah, sorry, miles. We put a bunch of like terrible defensive players around you, but like, can you just make us a, a solid defense by yourself? And he's just like, no, nah, I can't. I'm not that good. Um, <laughs> uh, so I, I think that's what they were hoping and we haven't really seen it happen. So yeah, I think that's that's a valid point because I do like Siakam playing at the five. I like it a lot better when he's at the five and when he plays with Obi, when he plays with Jalen Smith. Like to me, and we talked about this the other day. They had Obi Toppin playing at the three the other day, which was was crazy. But there was a big lineup. They were not getting killed on the boards, and the defense was able to hold its own with those three tall players out there. Um, so I think there's there. I, I think that's an interesting point if they were to move off of Turner. And have you know a combination of Siakam and Smith be like their 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 bigs? I think that would be really interesting, but I doubt that they're going to do it. Miles has played so well offensively; he shot tremendously well. Um, I think you know probably oh he's shooting thirty three percent. That's really interesting. So yeah, I I I feel like if Pascal was he's shooting fifty five percent from the mid range, so that so he has shot tremendously well from the mid range. Um, yeah, I think if Pascal was more replacing Turner and, and kind of they were doing it that way, that would be a lot more interesting to me. But I guess we'll see what direction they're going to go in. And I'm sure they're going to use whatever Halliburton comes back as data to, to decide, you know, including the playoffs to decide what they're going to do next. So they, they have some directions they could go. And I, maybe I'm throwing in the towel on them a little too early. I just want to say I'm super happy that you brought up the playoffs, you know, about because there are a lot of people who actually think that the reason Siakam's going to help is because the rest of what the Pacers are doing isn't sustainable. And so I'd love to hear you talk about that a little bit because 
you know, it sounds like to me, you're like, oh, actually the Pacers are going to be able to maintain like this pace and this great high efficiency offense with Halliburton basically just carrying the mantle. And Siakam is going to be the one maybe bringing that ceiling down when it comes to playoffs. And I've actually seen a lot of people say, oh, well, there's no way the Pacers can keep this up. They won't move this fast. They won't score at this rate. And when things slow down, having a secondary option like Siakam, having somebody who can work, inter- not interchangeably, but connectively with Halliburton in those moments, having two threats could bring some extra value. Do you just think there's no merit to that and that that's silly? Or I don't think there's no about? merit to that. No, I think I, I think there's some merit to parts of it. So I, I definitely, I, I want to be clear. I don't think, and I know it sounded this way, so I get why you interpreted it like that. I don't think Siakam brings their playoff ceiling down. I, that, that's not really what I'm saying. Um, I think it's, I think it's a clunky fit and it's a situation where they have a bunch of, they have now guys like more guys who are more valuable, who aren't playing as much. And so who aren't able to impact the game as much as they would have otherwise. So now I just think they need pieces that fit a little better. And like you said, you suggested if they were to move off of miles Turner, that would make a lot more sense to me. Um, and, and get somebody else, maybe somebody better at, 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 a, at a guard position or at the three, even though Aaron Neesmith has been incredible lately, by the way. Um, but what I would say is I'd ask you a question. So, like, how do you slow a team down? Like, how do you slow a team down? Like, if the, if the team is getting the ball out of the basket, inbounding it, and running up the court, how are you forcing them to slow down? I've never really understood this idea where like, you know, you get in the playoffs and then it's everything slows down. It's almost like, like all teams agree when they get to the playoffs, like, Hey guys, we're going to, we're going to take it about 90% speed here. We're in the playoffs now. We're not fucking around. This is not the regular season. We're going to chill the fuck out. We're going to slow down. Everybody slow down. We all agree. Like how, how do you slow them down? They're, they're taking the bat, the ball out of the basket throwing it to the guy who's inbounding it. And that guy immediately throws it back to Halliburton and they run. Like, how are you slowing them down? I'm just not understanding that part of it. I think the implication is that in the playoffs, rotations get shorter. So it's just not as sustainable to play that style when, because if the Pacers are going to try to maintain that level of pace with a 10 man rotation or the nine man rotation they've been using, they're giving more minutes to players who probably shouldn't be playing in playoff games. If that makes sense. Yeah, that, that, that's a, that's an interesting point. And, and that's, that's another reason why, like I love some of the experimentation that the play that the Pacers have been doing, because I think there's a, that's a, that's an open question. Like it's an open question to me. Like if I'm running at you at full speed for 48 minutes of the game, maybe the players that I'm playing aren't as good as the players that you're playing, but you're playing your guys 42 minutes and my guys are fresh and running full speed and we're playing the same way. We're spaced out. We're firing up threes all game. Like we're playing man to man defense so that we can get better position ourselves for transition offense. Like, like good luck guarding that with your guys playing 42 minutes across a seven game series. Like I, 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 and I'm not saying it's going to work. I'm not saying, yes, this would be better. I'm saying I would love to see it tried. I would love to see, Hey, we're not, we're not cutting down our rotation. No, we're not going to a seven man, eight man rotation. We're playing 10 guys and we're playing full speed the whole time. Keep up. Like I I would want to see that. So, you know, I, and I don't think they're going to, they're going to go more traditional. And that's a little bit like what's disappointing about like kind of not, I want to say ending the Pacers experiment to me is like kind of how I'm seeing it. Well, it's still, I mean, they replaced Bruce Brown with Pascal Siakam. 
So like yeah. they still yeah. can play. They still can play at that pace. It's yeah, the, you're right. I, it's not like Siakam is like he loves getting in transition too. I'm sure he's he's benefiting off of Halliburton pushing and pushing yeah, and pushing. You're right. They can, they can still do that. And to your point, we saw it. I, I'm not going to say it worked because they lost in round one. But to me, one of the coolest quotes of last year's playoffs was before the playoffs started when Mike Brown was asked what they were going to do in Sacramento once the game slowed down. And Mike Brown said, what do you mean? We're actually going to play faster. Like we're going to, we're going to try and run more and shoot more. And look, they came up short in that game seven against golden state. Steph Curry scored 50 points, but Sacramento looked really good in that series and they very easily could have won. And golden state was a good team, like good team, with a great player in Steph Curry and Sacramento took them to seven. I don't think that proved that that style didn't work in the playoffs. Like I think, I think the Kings will try to do it again if they make the playoffs this year. Um, and I think to your point, the Pacers are going to try to do it. I think the pay, I think Rick Carl- Carlisle will have the same answer. They'll say, we're going to play faster. Um, and that makes me feel not stronger, but that doesn't move me off of my original point. I don't see Siakam as someone who's going to change that fundamentally. Yeah, I would say uh, you are probably more right about this than I am. I, you know, I'm, I, I, as I acknowledged at the beginning, I'm a little more biased against Siakam as a player based on what how I've seen him play in Toronto over recent years and recent time, especially. So, yeah, you, you're probably right. I mean, you mentioned they're, they're replacing Bruce Brown with Siakam, so it's not like they took out a great shooter and put in you know a, a bad shooter. They they interchanged like a okay shooter for another okay shooter. Like so, um, and Siakam does love to run as well. So yeah, maybe maybe it works out. Um, and I'm I'm very curious to see whoever has the first round matchup with Indiana. I think that'll be so interesting. I, I just hope like, Halliburton's healthy for it. That's all I say. Yeah, obviously he's he's the whole system. So I'm glad we're learning about more of your biases, though. Magic and Pacers fans, get him. He's, he's <laughs> the one. He's the one. <laughs> <laughs> Those are my biases. Yeah, yeah. I guess I'm not invited to Orlando. It's like I don't want to go there anyway. It's and uh in indianapolis which is not even on my <laughs> an hour radar. ago you're scold you're scolding me about talking bad about orlando and every shitting on the city too god we're done we're, we have no chance because i'm being sarcastic i love orlando like I, so i i live in jacksonville i i i used to want to live uh move to downtown orlando i love orlando it's a good it's a good spot so i'm 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 just joking i love you guys down there um my uh my best and oldest friend went to ucf it was a very cool city and yeah we- we saw LeBron score his first 50 point game in his first game at Orlando in 2011. We were at Amway. Am I don't know if it was still called Amway back then, or if, I don't know. But yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Sorry, Thanks. sorry, Magic fan. More negativity towards you. No, I was just gonna say. I was gonna say you could always count on the Magic to uh, give uh, an opponent their best game. That that's that's nice. that's nice for them. Where is this coming from? Is this like an is this like a Knicks slash interstate rivalry? This is this is. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. It's just funny. I mean, um, yeah. No, th- th- these were some good conversations. We should wrap up the pod here. Uh, we've went on for a long time talking a lot of theory. Which, if you're interested in just talking ball theory like hypotheticals what could happen what's better how do you build a team this is the this is the episode for you and um i think we covered a lot of ground on this jeff so 
Um, thanks to everyone for joining in. Please uh, subscribe to you know the YouTube channel if you're watching it here. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple Pod, you know leave a review, leave a rating, subscribe to us there. Um, you know we're trying to grow and and things have been going really great so far. And and we hope we to keep it going and have some more of these really fun and fascinating conversations with all of you guys out there. Um, and yeah, please continue to leave comments. Even if you disagree, even if you think that, you know, Paolo Bancaro is, 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 you know, one of the best players in the league currently. And, and I disagree with you. I still would love to hear your opinion and I'll, I'll, I'll we'll, we'll both get back to you on, on, on any comments that are left in the YouTube, YouTube channel. So thanks so much for your engagement and for listening. Um, and yeah, this has been hot hand theory.